connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Children's Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare, system improvement and leadership, Spark Conversations is a new solution-focused podcast that connects the child health community with system leaders who tackle wicked problems and discuss ideas to inform the development of innovative and integrated systems serving children and youth. I'm Paula Robeson, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Jim Kellner, who is a pediatrician and infectious disease specialist at Alberta Children's Hospital, a professor of pediatrics at the University of Calgary, and a member of the Federal COVID-19 Immunity Task Force. Today, we're chatting about a timely topic, COVID-19 vaccines and kids. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Dr. Kellner. Thank you very much for having me, Paula. Throughout COVID, we've said that while children were among the least likely to have become severely ill by COVID infection, they've been tremendously affected by the pandemic and our responses to it. I think it is important to, you know, really clearly remind ourselves that um, while it's very clear that um, children do not suffer severe um, effects of uh, COVID-19 infections to nearly the same extent that adults do, they do get infected quite readily. um, And we're learning more about, you know, that there may be some long-term outcomes related to those infections that children have. um, And it's how they've been affected by it, as you say, that through the uh, disruption to all of society that has, in my view, as a pediatrician, particularly affected uh, children through school closures, disruption of normal, um, uh, healthy um, activities that help children grow up in a sort of healthy and productive way. And with that background, I think it helps justify part of the reason why it's important to consider vaccinating uh, children, um, not only to protect them from getting infections themselves, but to help them be part of the solution for all of society to uh, where a goal is to get as many people as possible um, immunized. Where are we as a country with respect to COVID vaccines and their approvals for children? Where we're at in Canada right now is that uh, we have one vaccine that has been approved for use in children aged 12 and over, and that's the Pfizer-BioNTech mRNA vaccine. This vaccine was originally approved uh, for anybody age 16 and above because their very large uh, clinical trial that they did at the beginning did include persons down to the age of 16. And then more recently, um, this spring and uh, coming into the spring, uh, Pfizer um, uh, had the results of their trial to look at children from uh, 12 to 15 years of age and found that the vaccine was uh, safe and effective um, and uh, led to um, a similar or even better immune response in younger children compared to um, uh, older adolescents and young adults. And so it was approved by Health Canada um, some weeks ago. And then there was a recommendation that came from NASI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, that the vaccine could be used um, over the age of 12. Where we're at now in Canada is that... um, Almost all provinces and territories have begun to immunize children in this age group. And um, the uptake has been really incredible in some places. Like in my own 
uh, home province of Alberta can say that already after the vaccine being available for less than three weeks, over 40% of children 12 to 15 years of age have already been immunized with their first dose of vaccine. Are any of the trials for children and vaccines, particularly in the younger age groups, taking place in Canada? Or are they all foreign trials? So um, there will be uh, uh, trials taking place in Canada. The other mRNA vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, um, they have also recently announced that they have um, data on their vaccine looking at uh, children uh, age 12 to 17, their original trial started uh, as low as age 18. And that data was all gathered um, from uh, trial in the United States. And um, But they will be submitting to Health Canada as well as the FDA in the United States soon to look at expanding their indication. Uh, they, like Pfizer, are now working to study the uh, impact of the vaccine in, in younger children um, up to age 11 and in a stepwise fashion, first looking at children from age 6 to 11 um, and then from six months to five years of age. So both Pfizer, BioNTech and um, Moderna are doing this. The Moderna trial uh, will be taking place in Canada as well as the United States and there's several sites across the country that will be um, participating in that clinical trial that will get going very soon. Um, the Pfizer trial is, as far as I understand, just taking place in the United States. Those are the two main companies that are at the advanced stage of testing um, their vaccines in younger children. There are other companies looking at testing vaccines in younger children, including in Canada. Those are at an earlier stage at this time. What do we know about the safety and efficacy of those COVID vaccines for children in all age groups, the 12 to 17 group and younger, in the short and longer term? So several things to say to that. Um, first, when you first study a vaccine in one population, you do these very large clinical trials with tens of thousands of people. You're testing for first and foremost safety, and then to see if the vaccine um, is effective. And then along the way, you're wanting to make sure you have the, um, the right dose and uh, dose interval. And once you've established that with a large group, if you want to then test the vaccine in a, in, a, in a different group, and in this case, after testing the vaccines in adults, you test the vaccines now in children. You don't have to do quite such a large study. You can do what are called bridging studies, where if you can show that the vaccine is, um, is safe and has a similar immune response um, in a smaller number of participants in a, in a clinical trial, then you can extrapolate or bridge to say that you expect that the vaccine will be just as effective to prevent infections. With both the Pfizer uh, vaccine as well as the um, Moderna vaccine, their trials in children, relatively small, um, several thousand children in each trial, um, you wouldn't have necessarily expected that they would have had enough participants to be able to make a statement about how well the vaccine works to prevent infection as well as uh, safety and um, immune response, but it turns out they did. Um, so we know from the clinical trials done, the smaller bridging clinical trials, that the vaccines have a similar safety profile, uh, a similar uh, immune response, and similar um, efficacy to prevent infection. So we, we know that going into it. Of course, you need to see how the vaccines play out um, when they're administered to hundreds of thousands or millions of um, people to be able to 
really know for sure about uh, rare side effects. One thing, um, and we're getting there quickly uh, in in Canada, where hundreds of thousands of doses of the Pfizer vaccine have already been administered to um, uh, to young teenagers. One thing in addition that we know in the United States, because they started um, immunizing um, 16 and 17 year olds more assertively and aggressively um, than elsewhere when they were using the Pfizer vaccine. And so by the time we started using the Pfizer vaccine in Canada and younger children, there were already over 2 million 16 and 17 year olds in the United States who had been immunized with no reports of any additional or different uh, kind of safety concerns. And so that's very reassuring. We do need to see what the experience is with a large number of people before you can say that you know for sure about how things are going to be. The important thing to know about safety and side effects of vaccines, and it's a question that comes up a lot. People ask the question, well, what about the long-term side effects of vaccines? And for sure, vaccines can rarely have severe side effects that can lead to a long-term impact on a child or a person who receives the vaccine. But the onset of any of those really severe effects that can occur rarely is always within a short period of time after vaccines have been provided. It's uh, stated with uh, evidence to support this that the, the onset of any severe effect is always within two months of vaccines being administered. And really, it's... um, virtually always within six weeks, and then even more so within a couple of weeks of vaccine being given. If there's going to be a severe effect, that will occur. So the concern about long-term side effects that may take years to become apparent, don't think of it in that way. We think, are there rare side effects that could occur, um, which will become apparent within up to a couple of months after the vaccine is being given? What are the side effects that we currently know about and what comfort or advice do you have for families and healthcare practitioners who are delivering them? Yeah, so far what we see is that um, the immediate effects of the vaccine um, and that we talk about in terms of the reactogenicity of the vaccine um, include the kind of things that you see when you give the vaccine to adults where you get the injection and you may get a sore arm that's very common, maybe a little bit swollen or even a little bit red for a day or two or three after the uh, vaccine. You may also get some systemic effects um, like a headache or um Uh, be more tired or uh, feel um, achy with uh, sore muscles or joints or even occasionally get a fever. All of those things can happen after um, the vaccine is provided to children in the same way that they can happen to adults who get the vaccine. The important thing is that they're short-limited and don't leave any lasting um, impact. I completely recognize they can be very unpleasant, but they are short-lived, a day or two or three at most. And, um, and then go away. And it's really just evidence that the vaccine is working um, when you get these kind of adverse effects. Uh, in terms of uh, more severe effects, like a severe allergic reaction, there hasn't been any signal that there's any additional concern about the potential for a severe allergic uh, reaction that uh, can occur after the mRNA vaccines, which are known and have been described in adults to occur in about one in 200,000 people who um, get vaccinated and um, mostly in people with a known history of severe allergies. And so this is a thing that's watched for every time somebody gets a vaccine. There is one additional concern that's come up in young adults um, about um, a heart condition called myocarditis, which is uh, inflammation of the heart muscle, which is actually not a 
super rare condition that's often triggered by viruses that can occur and is often mild and goes without being diagnosed, but can certainly lead to severe outcomes sometimes. There's um, a concern that's come up after the provision of the vaccine um, to younger adults in both the United States and uh, Israel. And the question that hasn't been answered is, have these cases of myocarditis that have occurred, um, have they occurred at a rate that's greater than the background rate of what you'd expect to occur in that population in that time anyway? And um, so it's not even established yet at all if there's a cause and effect relationship between the vaccine and this thing, myocarditis. And in children, there's no data yet. So this is something just that we're watching closely for with the safety surveillance and watching closely for with the experience around the world to see if there's any evidence of anything there that could possibly be related to the vaccine or not. And obviously it's an important thing, but uh, so far there's no additional information beyond what came up um, a few weeks ago with the concern being raised, but um, but, but no further um, um, perspective on it yet. And are there other unknowns? What else do we not know? Or do we know that we don't know at this point? Yes, when we think of um, with vaccine and side effects, um, one thing you think of is, okay, well, what would the natural infection cause? Because if you're giving a vaccine um, and, you, you know, you, you worry about whether or not giving that vaccine uh, could lead to some side effects that are similar to what the natural infection causes. This is particularly the case if you're giving a vaccine that is a form of the entire virus, if it's a live virus or if it's a, a killed virus that can, includes all the components of the microbe, and uh, then you worry that you could get some of those kind of effects. It's important, though, to know that when remind ourselves that with the mRNA vaccines, it's just got one small component of the virus, the the spike um, protein. Vaccines like that are um, much less likely to cause some of these effects that you would see with a whole virus um, exposure. You have to have an open mind to watch for everything that could happen. And um, this is the, the purpose of some of the safety surveillance that's going on to asking people, has anything happened to you since you got the vaccine? And uh, to be able to uh, um, to fairly and openly and transparently keep an eye on what's going on. Is the Canadian surveillance system sufficiently robust to capture these and other as yet unknown effects of the COVID vaccine on children? I think so. Uh, we have there's two aspects to the usual safety surveillance. Uh, um, one aspect of the usual safety surveillance in all the provinces and territories is, is surveillance for AFIs, adverse events following uh, immunization. And these are legislated programs uh, in most provinces and existing programs in all provinces and territories where if somebody shows up to a hospital or a health clinic or a health facility of some kind and they have some evidence that something's happened that has followed in time after a vaccine, healthcare workers are compelled to report these um, AFIs. And of course, many things that happen to people after they've been vaccinated have nothing to do with the vaccine. It's just life. But if there's a temporal association, you got vaccine a few days ago and now something happens to you and you end up having to s- seek health uh, care, then these get reported. So we have that AFI system, which is a passive system that counts on the healthcare workers reporting these events that happen. Um, and with a heightened awareness of the vaccines and uh, some of the concerns that have been out there, um, that system, I think, is, I hope, working well. In addition, we have an active surveillance uh, system in Canada that has been enhanced Um, at the time of the pandemic, Canvas, or Canvas COVID. Canvas is a Canadian uh, vaccine um, adverse event surveillance system that has been around for more than a decade, um, 
especially looking at um, new versions of influenza vaccine every year. And it's um, been expanded to uh, look at large-scale testing and, uh, and questioning about um, uh, adverse events after the COVID-19 vaccine um, in several provinces across Canada and territories. And so far, there's been well over half a million Canadians who have participated in this after their first dose of vaccine. With this active surveillance, people sign up at the time they get that vaccine. And then uh, they're sent a questionnaire um, at least eight days after they got their first dose, eight days after they get their second dose, and six months after their second dose. And so with that active surveillance where people are being asked, how were you after you got your vaccine, both in the short term, the first few days, and then six months later, we're going to have um, you know, a, a really wonderful and large amount of information about this. And well over half a million Canadians have already participated in the first part of the study. Healthcare professionals are frequently asked about the risks and benefits associated with the COVID vaccine for children. They wonder, do the risks associated with the COVID infection, with related public health mitigation strategies, or the vaccine itself, do they those risks justify vaccination for children, particularly those at greater risk, such as with compromised immunity or medical complexity? So should we wait for additional research or is now the right time? I come down pretty strongly on the side that now is the right time. Um, and no matter how you um, evaluate a vaccine, you know, people make the comments to say that uh, we shouldn't be giving this vaccine experimentally to children. The vaccine is not being given experimentally to children. There are ongoing clinical trials that are experimental clinical trials that people sign up for and, uh, um, and um, you know, provide informed consent and they take part in it <clears throat> in these trials. The vaccine that we're using in Canada right now, the Pfizer-BioNTech, has undergone uh, clinical trial evaluation has been approved by our federal regulator, Health Canada, has been recommended by our federal um, advisory panel, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. Um, and uh, similarly, it's happened in the United States and, um, and will be happening in other countries around the world. So um, these are approved vaccines. These are not experimental vaccines. Any new vaccine, you learn a lot about, though, in the um, initial period of time that they're used on a large-scale basis. That's not experimental. That is, once the experiments to prove that the vaccines are safe and work have been conducted, uh, you get this large-scale uh, real-world experience. And so I think that there's been sufficient uh, evaluation of the vaccines uh, to uh, safely implement them, especially in the context of implementing them as they are in Canada, where we have ongoing safety surveillance, as well as ongoing surveillance to see how well the vaccines work. So should children get the vaccines uh, when they mostly don't suffer severe outcomes? I would say they're for sure, for several reasons. Um, the first is that the vaccine will provide protection to children from getting COVID-19 infections. And although as we stated at the beginning, um, they're far less likely than adults to suffer severe outcomes. When you look at it, and in Mound Province of Alberta, where we've done very liberal testing uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, the proportion of children who have been um, infected with COVID-19 is almost identical to the proportion of the entire population that children are. We've had uh, in children and adolescents up to age 19, um, over um, 50,000 cases of um, COVID-19 um, in Alberta now of of course, very few of those have had to be admitted to hospital, and we've had fortunately no deaths. There have been some deaths across Canada and some severe outcomes. 
And you can't always predict who's going to have those severe outcomes. So yes, for sure, less severe than in adults, um, but not not trivial in a, in a lot of children. So I think it's worth it to protect children. It's also worth it for children to be um, uh, protected to help with the opening up that we're going to see coming forward. You know, a big issue in Canada has been school closure. And the approach to school closure has been very different across the country with um, some provinces having prolonged periods of uh, school closures and the disruption to children's um, uh, normal, healthy uh, um, growing up uh, that comes with that. And then other provinces have taken a more liberal approach and haven't closed schools nearly as much. Um, but there's been this disruption related to um, the concern about infections taking place and outbreaks taking place in schools. And there's been plenty of outbreaks in schools. And the question of whether that reflects just what's going on in um, a community uh, in general or whether that's driving what's going on in the community is still a little bit up in the air. But it has led to lots of uh, school closures and the cancellation or postponement of all kinds of other activities. If children are vaccinated, this is going to help as we go forward to uh, restart uh, school and keep the schools open, restart normal activities. And um, so that's an additional direct benefit for children. And then the other thing is that uh, will immunizing children help us uh, to get to that uh, goal of herd immunity in the community where enough people are vaccinated that um, even for those who aren't vaccinated, they're protected and you dramatically reduce the circulation of the virus in the community. And this is an open question of whether you could possibly um, vaccinate enough adults so that you don't have to vaccinate any children. Um, but in a, in a world where there's still so much virus, where there's variants that are harder to control and that definitely need two doses of vaccines to control, uh, it stands to reason that we should be aiming to vaccinate as big a portion of the population as possible. In Canada, about 20% of the population is under the age of 16. If we're aiming for very high levels of vaccination, complete vaccination with two doses of vaccine, and we don't vaccinate one-fifth of the population, it's probably a lot less likely that we'll achieve that level of herd immunity required to control uh, the uh, uh, circulation of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in the long term. You've made the case for immunization of children and the safety and efficacy of the COVID vaccines, there's still considerable sort of mixed feedback around the whether we need to prioritize the vaccination of children and how we balance that with other competing priorities and populations. What's your take? Yeah, so really important issue. And, um, you know, all the comments that I've made um, really are made in the context that we're coming out of the time in Canada of vaccine scarcity. At the beginning of 2021, um, when there was huge excitement about the vaccines being uh, uh, starting to be delivered and we were able to start to deliver vaccines, particularly to older Canadians and Canadians living in, in um, long-term care facilities who are at the highest and most severe risk of not just getting COVID-19, but dying from COVID-19. That was super important. And then also frontline healthcare workers most directly um, exposed to COVID-19. Um, and then we ran into the shortage and uh, weren't even able to address um, the need to vaccinate um, those highest risk Canadians. And so for sure, if that was still the case, that we didn't have enough vaccine, we'd have to be saying 
that our priority has to be on those, those at the very highest risk. But we're well beyond that now, and um, the vaccine supply issue has become much more reliable and much more uh, steady and much more consistent. It's, it's still imperfect, but um, we are seeing across the country now um, the total number of Canadians who have had at least a single dose of vaccine is um, increasing by the day, and now we're one of the most vaccinated uh, countries in the world for a proportion who have had at least one dose and moving towards second doses now. And so it's in this setting that there's a lot more vaccine around that it's reasonable to expand um, to uh, groups of Canadians, including children, who are not at the highest risk, but who are at risk and who are certainly affected by the um, COVID-19 pandemic. Related to that, then, there's the question of, well, what about the rest of the world? And, you know, we're extremely privileged in Canada as a wealthy nation and as a nation who made the decision uh, at the federal government level to procure many, um, potentially many more doses than we need. So I think a key thing here is, is you know, to remind ourselves that we're not going to get out of this pandemic around the world until everybody gets out of it. So I'm very aware of that issue, that if we're vaccinating Canadian children, is that keeping us from being able to support the vaccination of higher risk individuals in other countries around the world? And um, I completely agree. This is where the balance has to be struck. And, and the federal government in Canada has made repeated statements that, you know, once we have uh, uh, sufficient doses of vaccine and, and as we're getting our, our supply of vaccine get larger and larger, that um, donations from Canada to the global effort to vaccinate the world through COVAX will, will be made, are being made and will be made, and we will contribute to this. I would argue that the relatively small number of, um, of doses that are being provided uh, to children um, in addition to other lower risk Canadians, aren't offsetting our ability as a country to be able to support the vaccination effort globally. Well, thank you so much, Jim. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And thanks for taking the time to share your expertise on immunization with our members. Uh, stay safe and be well. Thank you. It's been my pleasure and I hope it's been helpful. To stay up to date on all our Spark offerings, including upcoming podcast episodes and related uh, teaser questions and answers, visit our website at childrenshealthcarecanada.ca and subscribe to our Spark weekly newsletter if you haven't already done so. Thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. And before we go, show some love for your new podcast series by leaving us a review and then join us again next month. Thank you. Thank you.